Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening. I'm Robert A. Wilson with Cowboy Wisdom, Visionary Vitality, and Cowboy Wisdom Radio. I'm a hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner. And tonight we're going to talk about budgets with Christine Cargoni. Christine's the author of Financial Fables, Seven Tales to Transform Your Financial Life and More. Christine and I will be talking tonight about budgets and how to begin them and some of the pitfalls in beginning a budget. And Christine has a passion for the emerging fields of financial psychology and the holistic study of money and self. She's a mother, businesswoman, educator, speaker, and author. And as an award winner in the Toastmasters International Division, she has demonstrated the ability to share challenging concepts in an understandable and engaging manner. Christine especially enjoys talking, giving talks that include a, include a whimsical wit. And you can learn more about her at story, uh, financialstorytelling.com and also financiallife.com. And without any further ado, so we can get through and get, you got, get the information out to you, I want to welcome Christine Cardoni to the show. Welcome. Welcome, Robert, and welcome to all the listeners out there tonight, too. Yeah. Anyway, Christine, um, the book, the seven, I got to get this right, The Financial Fable, Seven Tales to Transform Your Financial Life and More. How is that a book that shows people the simplicity of managing their money? Well, Robert, what we've done is we've taken some of the fairy tales that people know and love, like Puss in Boots, um, Beauty and the Beast, and we put them in, you know, fairy tales originally, when they were fables, were designed to teach a lesson. Uh, and it's just like Aesop's fables. And so they, you were supposed to learn a lesson and from it, and everybody who heard the story would come away from a different aspect of the lesson. And so what we wanted to do is the things that are people most familiar with and put them in financial terms. So then that way, Puss in Boots became, you know, um, Bootsy the Cat. You know, how animals inspire, you know, this particular animal inspires Diva to change her life, you know, and, and be the person she needs to be. And, you know, Lisa and her, and her beauty. So each, each of the stories builds upon how to improve your financial life and how to put it into a plan. And, you know, how is it we plan everything, a vacation, but we never plan our, about my, our money and the way it's going? Well, you know, Robert, you need to be taught that. Uh, it, you know, it, it's not something that comes to, to people naturally, and yet because they use it from a very young age, they think it does come naturally. For example, financial concepts start in children really at pre-kindergarten. Uh, if you think about it, they... They do things like going to school, they play grocery store, they play house, they barter with each other, one child has a toy, they change, and all of the, the bartering and things that go back and forth are financial concepts. So they don't put a lot of emphasis where they teach you history in school and they teach you arithmetic. They don't teach financial planning. They don't teach people how to invest money. There's no high school education class for investing uh, or even how to make a spending plan. 
And here's something even I'm still learning into that one immensely. But when people first start a budget, what are some of the pitfalls they fall into without even realizing they did it? Well, you know, first of all, Robert, I hate that word budget. Ugh, what an ugly word. And when people hear the word budget, they think to themselves, they have to cut things out of their lives. You know, I'm on a budget. I can't do that. I'm on a budget. I can't do this. And so really in the financial world, we'd like to say you've got a spending plan. You are actually making a choice as to how you want to use your money rather than putting a, cutting things out of your life. So when you think about it as a spending plan, then you make conscious decisions on how you want to spend your money. And you feel you have more control over that. For example, if you're really motivated by your morning coffee and you spend $3 a day on it, but it gets you through your day and you're making money all day long, then go ahead and have your morning coffee for $3 a day, for God's sake. You know, know, so that's one of the things that people really uh, is a pitfall for people is they don't think of it in the right concept as a choice of how they want to spend money. They really think of budgets as something that they always have to cut out. Isn't that something we, we've really been taught through the school system? Have it in a way, I mean, not 100%, but haven't we really been taught through the school system in life that everything has to take away rather than give to us? Again, you know, we don't get a whole lot in school per se. I mean, we get a lot in society. We get inf- our, we kind of pick up pieces, bits and pieces in society of, you know, denial. If you, if you want to have something, or like, for example, the old adage, save for a rainy day, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, put a little bit away. Well, yeah, you do want to uh, have money to save for a rainy day. But, you know, a lot of times people get very discouraged. They don't know what to do with the money after they save it. And so a lot of times what what happens is they put money away, and yet they, like, I think only 43% of the American public is really active in the stock market right now. And you have to really imagine that that's a very low percentage compared to all the pension plans that are out there. So, you know, that when people say, okay, now I'm going to take $10 a week, I'll put it away, but at the end of the year they only have $520, and then they feel very discouraged that they, you know, that they put that money away. The main thing is just to start early putting money away and learn the value of time, value of money. You know, start making your money work for you. Uh, Christine, tell people more about the time value of money. Well, the time value of money is, for example, this is how rich people stay very rich. Uh, they, they'll they put like maybe $1,000 away for their children when they're born. And by the time that child is 65 years old, you know, they have like a couple $100,000, uh, you know, because that, that first $1,000 gets interest and then that interest gets interest. And then by the time they're 65, they've got a lot of money, uh, you know, so, but, the average person doesn't really have an extra thousand dollars to put away for you know for anybody for you know for 65 years. This is surplus money that people have. So the first thing that you really need to do when you're starting to think of a spending plan is to pay yourself first. You you decide on what your bills are, 
uh, each month. For example, you know you have your rent or your house payment. You need, you know, you have your utility bills. So you have to list all of those those bills down. The things you definitely have to pay every month, and then you go to your income and see how much money you have coming in uh, after taxes. Now, if those two, if those two um, numbers are equal, like for example, just to make this simple, if you have a thousand dollars worth of bills and you have a thousand dollars worth of income, then at the end of the month you're going to be left with zero and you have nothing to save. And so, what you need to do is look if you if you can't inc- decrease your bills, then you have to increase your income. Find a different way to get more money into your your pocket so that you can pay your bills. Either that or it's back to that old societal thing about cutting, cutting, cutting. You know, aren't we taught spending money is bad, but then we have to spend a lot of money, and so it's really a double, kind of a double, uh, kind of a double ineptness in people's psyche to, with money. Well, you know, society from a very young age, you know, if you're, if you're um, a Christian society, they, they, a lot of people say money is the root of all evil. And so you get a lot of people who feel very guilty about having money. And when they get money, then they give it away. But it's often misquoted because that, that passage says the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's, that is a really... Big, big difference. The love of money changes it to, you know, a, um, a, a an emotional uh, relationship with money. You never want to have an emotional relationship with money. You know, the people in your life are the people are is the emotional bonds you have, and you know, and the people that in your life build on your community. And you know, the more people you have in your community. The more things you you can do together, um, for example, there's a lot of times when people get together to have dinner together rather than going out for dinner, and they save a lot of money. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of things that you can do by building community in your life, and so have an emotional relationship with people in your life, but don't have an emotional relationship with money. The website is financialstorytelling.com. The book is Financial Fables, Seven Tales to Transform Your Financial Life and More. And with what we're talking about right here, how will your book, Financial Fables, actually open people's wisdom to understand the time value of money more? Well, the one story which is based on Snow White is about risk aversion. Yeah, so it, it basically it tells a story, and um, and what we've taken is the little dwarfs and we place them into risk averse instruments like bonds and insurance, and so it makes the idea of learning how, how not to lose money is just as important on how to gain money. So you. That is an important concept. And then also the very first story, Bootsy the Cat, is, uh, emphasizes how important it is to invest in yourself before you even start investing in anybody else or anything else. Invest in yourself first. Yeah, now you said something there. Invest in yourself first. 
how are people to have, uh, have a fear of investing in themselves because they've never really trusted themselves, do you feel, Christine? Well, a lot of people get very scared when they talk about money and financial concepts. First of all, financial concepts, they they kind of get like in a deer in a headlight. they like, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn, and I'm afraid of losing what I have. And so it's easy for people to, because they, they get this emotional bond that they that they've worked hard for their money, they don't want to lose it, so they don't do anything with it. They'll stay in one one place rather than trying to learn a little bit of concepts and invest the, the money that they do have. But it's important for people to invest in themselves. Investing in yourself, first of all, more, the, most, the more you know, the more flexible you're going to be in a job market. You never know when a talent is going to come up that you need to understand. Uh, even investing in, you know, inspirational books it gives you a little bit more of a you know a good attitude in life an attitude can be very important uh you know whenever you meet somebody new you only have about 15 seconds to impress that person whether they're going to like you or they're not going to like you so your attitude is really key so investing in inspirational books is important uh, as well as investing in, you don't even have to buy anything, but you can go into different websites like my website, financialstorytelling.com, to get uh, free financial advice. And then you have another website, saveandinvest.org, which comes from the government. That you know, you have anything that's .org is generally an organization from the government. So if you go to saveandinvest.org they actually have a spending plan worksheet for you and a calculator. And so you can do all of these you know, things on your own, taking small steps at a time. They give you your financial basics, you know, how to control your debt, doing the financial tools. A lot of times what people like to do is they get their money and they put it in what they call pockets. Like this, this bucket of money is for savings, this bucket of money is for rent, this bucket. And so... By putting it into small buckets, they can separate between their wants and their needs. And just explain more of that so people understand it. When you put it in a, a, let's say, a bucket, you put that in there, you know exactly where it's going. Is that what you're saying there, Christine? Right, right. It's got back to that whole concept, Robert, of what you were saying about how people are afraid to tackle these financial concepts. So by putting it into a visualization of, you know, putting the money into a bucket where they can see it and they know where it is, it gives them a feeling of controlling um, what their finances are and they have, by better control, they can control their debt better. Is it, you know, this is something I've been talking about. How do people mirror the government and overspending? I'm sorry, how do people... You know, the people, the country actually mirrors the government by overspending, and I've been guilty of this. You know, you overspend because that's what you watch and it becomes an image. Do you feel that? Well, yeah, some people do overspend, compensate um, for sometimes when you, when you, when you have a uh, hole in your heart. Uh, when you when you are not happy with yourself, 
A lot of people do shopping therapy. <laughs> I've been guilty of that myself. You know, I you know not feeling not feeling my best, and so I want to go out and buy something new, something exciting that's going to make me feel new and exciting. You know, and it's easy to overspend that way. But you know, some people actually um, do shopping with their friends. What they'll do is uh, instead of going out to a store to buy. They'll, they'll get a group of friends together and they'll go into each other's closet. And, like, one person takes it one, one thing from the closet and one person takes another thing and then they just trade things, you know. I used to do that with my aunt quite a bit. What we would do is things, household things like um, vases and, you know, so that, and paintings or, or any pictures that we had on the walls in order to update our look, instead of going out shopping for something new, we would trade with each other. You know, so it, it, what you need to do is um, find a different outlook out or a different way to make your life fresh and new without going out to spend money. And, you know, make a game of it. But I'm on your website, financialstorytelling.com, and there's a tab up at the top called speaker how would somebody get a hold of you christine to come in and have a either for counseling or or for uh to come and speak at a group how would they do that and what would what would be their benefit just by having your wisdom in their in their seminar or whatever well i you know i do like to to speak to um, a a lot of different people uh i have i actually teach ethics and I do that on a national basis. I, and, you know, and I also love speaking to people about body language. Body language is so important. And you can go ahead and email me at ccc at finance and life. Uh, on that, on that uh, webpage is ccc at finance and life or call my 1-800 number, 800-281-0198. And, uh, you know, I would be more than happy to speak to people about, you know, a uh, engagement to, in order for me to help them. You said something in their ethics. How has this country really lost a lot of ethics and it's become more about how I can trick somebody into buying rather than an ethical way of doing business, do you feel? <laughs> well, you know, Robert Wall, uh, you know, Wall Street and Main Street. I mean, they they clash, and you, then you have your marketing. You know, a lot of times, I tell people when you're thinking that you want to buy something because you think it's a good idea, and to tell you the truth, this is something I bring up in my body language class because in the marketing, even when you're watching TV. Even the ways that the actors move, uh, 93% of what your your message is from any any source comes non-verbally, and so it's always subliminal. And so they get you to try to use their product in a very subliminal way. They pick uh, actors and actresses that are going to appeal to the general public or a certain section of the public that they're target marketing to. These are a lot of studies are done on this to, to make people spend their money to, to part with their money. So the bottom line is that if you really want something and you think that you need it, my rule of thumb is see it, think about it, and wait two days. 
if you wait two days and you still need it and you still want it, go back and get it. But if you, it, unless it's a tremendous bargain, like you know, you know for sure you've been looking at something for a hundred dollars and now you can find it for twenty, then that's an exception to the rule. Go ahead and buy it because you know what the value is right there on a spot. But if you if you can control your impulse buying by just looking at something, thinking about it, and thinking about how have I been influenced to buy this and waiting two days, if it's not as important to you to go back to buy that item, then chances are you didn't actually need it or you actually didn't want it. You just wanted to buy it, purchase it, to make yourself feel better at the moment from a subliminal message that you received somewhere along the way. But how do we do things just to make ourselves feel better? And, you know, you, you commented on that. We do it to feel better, but in the end, we really feel worse. How, how do people overcome that? Well, Robert, that is something that people need to work on by, you know, talking with others and building relationships. Now, you never can, you can't feel better about yourself through objects. It's just not possible. You know, you, you know it, you, you've heard many stories about the poor little rich girl type of situation where, you know, people have millions of dollars and they're still very lonely. You know, they, you know, they don't have, they, they don't know who to trust. They don't know who their friends are. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many examples of that in life. There's also examples of people who inherited great wealth and they spend it all. Why? Because they don't really want it. They like the life. They like the, they feel very comfortable in the social economic lifestyle that they have. So the main thing is, is to remember, again, is that you don't have an emotional tie to your money. Your emotions are, and what you should build is community, build relationships with your spouse or your partner, build relationships with your children, help your children when you can. Uh, those children are going to come back to help you when they can. Uh, you know, and by doing that, and and it's kind of what I could call it is like climbing a ladder. You go up two steps and baby, that's one step. But each time you do that, you're building on a foundation of trust and love. And that is where you, and believe me, it's maybe people don't think of money in that sense, is that it's, but it is in the Bible. Money is one of the biggest things that are, that are that's set against God. It's quoted more than any other so-called sin uh, is the temptation of money versus God. And not to be, you know, totally biblical, but this is the philosophy that they, from the very, for 5,000 years that they've been trying to teach is that you have personal relationships with others. You don't have personal relationships with money. And as and as, and as what, funny as that seems, it's been 5,000 years and we still don't understand it. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. How do we let money control us rather than us be in the inspirational energy of money? Well, money controls us because it does buy the environment that and that makes or can can contribute to our happiness. Like for example, 
if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of um, of needs, is the very base of the hierarchy of need, what, what you need in life is your breathing and shelter and food. So you need that to, to, to sustain yourself. Then after you get that, that basic need in, you know, your shelter need, then the next level up is how much of that do you have? How much, you know, does your, is your house a $10,000 house, a $50,000 house, a $100,000 house, or a million-dollar house, you know? And does that actually change your relationships with others? You know, uh, I've seen people who do not want to change their whole social economic class from a $100,000 house to a $100,000 house to a $200,000 house because they don't want to lose their friends. Their friends think, oh, now that person is hotty hotty. They're in this expensive mansion house, and you know now they they think they're better than we are because they went out and bought this house or whatever. Yeah, and so they sometimes people experience they ostracize others that you know that gain, and and that's a very tricky personal relationship when when something like that happens. And you know the thing is. But now here, I want to get back to the budget here just a minute. What is the first thing somebody should do when they want to start having a spending plan that evaluates and, and goes along with their time, time value of money? Right. The very first thing that you need to do is just calculate how much money you have left over after you pay all your bills. You need to know exactly what they call your discretionary income is. What do you have left over? And you need to know what you have left over because that's the money you should be spending at your own discretion. That's why they call it discretionary income. You know, that's the money that you can either save or spend. Now, what my philosophy is, though, and a lot of people follow this also, is that along with your rent and your utility bills, you should pay yourself first. There should be a certain amount of money even if it's $10 a week, that you put away and say, I need to save that for my future. And so, and if it can be $10, that's great. If it only can be a dollar, you know, take a small step and take do what you can. If it can be $2, whatever it is, or if it can be $100, that's even better. Whatever you can pay yourself first. And then start that, even though it's going to start very slowly, and you're going to see for the first couple of years, maybe you only have a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. Then, with time, you get that you learn how to invest, and then you take that money and you invest it for them. For example, my son this year only has six hundred dollars, so I took three hundred dollars and invested it in one thing, and three hundred dollars and invested it in something else, and then now he has seven hundred dollars. So you know, it's it, it's not a big jump forward. But it's a little steps forward, and you know, and there's different ways that you can learn to invest in order to make your let your money make money for you. And that's the thing, you know. How are we afraid to let our money work for us? Do you feel we've never been taught, and what else is there besides that? Right, and that's that's a diff, that's the difficult thing. That's why I said is that, you know, learning to get the basics of investments is really important. Uh, and if you can't get the basics of investments down and you still don't feel well good enough about yourself, 
you can actually hire a financial advisor on an hourly basis that will work on your best behalf. And I always tell people that, you know, a lot of society believes that only rich people need financial advisors. But to tell you the truth, people who don't have a lot of money probably need financial advisors more because the financial advisor can give them a, a direction in which they, it's money well spent if they don't feel confident enough in themselves to do that. Now, the other thing that people can do is they, if they have a 401k program at work for their, you know, for a retirement program, uh, sometimes uh, employers will match some of that contribution. So if you could put money into a 401k, and that's free money from your employers if they do match it. Uh, I believe in the Roth IRA program for retirement. If you're making money, you put some money in there, especially if you're low income. If you're low income, there's actually a tax credit that the government gives you to help contribute to your Roth IRA if you if you put money into your retirement fund. So if you're not making a whole lot of money and you make those big steps to put $10 a week in or, or $20 or, or $50 and you have some extra money that you can do that with, then at the end of the year when you file your tax return, the government actually rewards you for having saved that money into a retirement plan. And now i got to ask you about the Savvy Woman Advice Network called the SWAN. Tell people, okay. would you explain that? Well, you know, when we first started out, my partner and I uh, worked basically a lot with women. Uh, women seemed to, at that point in time, uh, needed a little bit more guidance. They had not been, especially um, there's a statistic out there that the average age of a widow, do you know what the average age of a widow is, Robert? Take a guess. I'd say 61. Actually, you're very close. It's around 56. The average widow is 56 years old. That means that at least you know, half of the half of the women who lose their husbands are, you know, in their thirties as well as, you know, half of the women who lose their husbands are in their seventies. So, you know, because average is what's the two differences. So a lot of times, you know, if a woman was in her seventies, she would go her whole life and her husband generally would handle the finances for her. And so it it was difficult for uh, women who had just started and were suddenly single, what they would call suddenly single, through widowhood. And they didn't, a lot of times they didn't know where to, to start. And, uh, and th- unfortunately, this is also a time uh, when a, a woman becomes, or even a man becomes widowed, uh, where people, they see blood, almost blood in the water. They, they, they know there's an insurance policy out there. And so there's a lot of people who come knocking on their door at that point in time to either to invest their money for them or to, you know, do something or to get a hold of that money. So, you know, I, when I always say to people, you know, I feel very bad about anybody who's lost a loved one. And if you get insurance money, try not to make any kind of decision about how to spend that money for at least two years. And that is sound advice. Um Christine, we're out of time. It's uh, financialstorytelling.com, and it's Christine Cardoni is my guest. Christine, give them some money wisdom, and I'm going to close out the show. Love with your heart. 
and put that as a priority in your life, and the money will be there when you need it. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, all the listeners. And I'm going to say good night. And we'll be here Thursday night with Mandy Evans, and we'll talk to you then. And thank you, Christine, and all the listeners. And I'm going to say good night. Thank you, Robert. Take care. You too.